episode 431 of Cinematary. I'm your host, Zach Dennis, and I'm here with Michael O'Malley, Grace Winburn. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about movies that we saw this week in part one. And in part two, we're going to be continuing our Ernst Lubitsch series with 1940s The Shop Around the Corner, which is going to be filled with uh, Jimmy Stewart impressions. Yes. Very exciting. Um, real quickly, we have on the site now, if you'd like to read uh, capsule reviews from myself, Andrew, and Reed from TIFF, head over to cinematary.com. We have all of those. Um, one, I think, is one pertinent one is that they're about to put out uh, Knives Out Glass Onion or Glass Onion Knives Out, whatever the hell it's called. Um, and so we have, a inter- or we have a review of that as well as my review of The Fablemans. Um, the Fablemans is going to be is came out I think in limited release last week, but is getting a wider release this week. So both of those movies, check them out. Um, but yeah, let's go ahead and jump into movies that we saw this week. Michael, this is one I talked about a couple weeks ago, but I'm going to get your take, and I figure we can go a little bit deeper into the Banshees of Inisherin. Yes. So do you? You think I should re- recount the plot since maybe not everyone is dedicated enough to have listened Grace to the last plot. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is the most recent movie uh, directed and written by one uh, Martin McDonough who did like <laughs> In Bruges was the good one that he did, um, but he also did Seven Psychopaths. And no, did... Seven Psychopaths is his brother. Is it really? Mm-hmm. Dang. One of those Irish guys did Seven Psychopaths. He did. Uh, so Martin is uh, is Ebbing, Missouri, and uh, Embruge. Okay. Well, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri is not good. Embruge, um, I remember being good, but I haven't seen it since like I was in high school. But this one is great. This movie is great. So it stars Colin Farrell and um, oh man, sorry, uh, Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, and uh, they're on this island that seems to be inhabited by like maybe twenty people or something like that. The small like provincial island off the coast of Ireland um, in the early 20th century uh, during the Irish Civil War. And um, one morning, or I guess one afternoon, um, Colin Farrell goes up to Brendan Gleeson's house and they're all drinking buddies. And he's like, let's go to the pub. And Brendan Gleeson is just ignoring him. Uh, and come to find out, Brendan Gleeson has decided that he doesn't really like Colin Farrell anymore. And in fact, he wants to just spend his time composing uh, his like folk ballads on his anymore. violin. Um, it's super funny. He's just like, I don't, I don't want to be your friend anymore. He's like, what did I do? <laughs> Nothing. I just, I just don't like you anymore. And uh, so the whole, like, it begins as kind of a joke. Like, it's, it's like almost like a skit or something. It's not like a skit in terms of like, it's not like hacky like that, but. Um, it like takes this premise and just like drives it into the ground and uh, like burrows down into this deep, like eventually very sad place. Um, but for a long time, it's this comedy where Colin Farrell is doing his Colin Farrell thing of being kind of like a like a lovable goofball guy uh, who's just like, well, I got to make him like me again. And so he keeps on like bothering Brendan Gleeson, who I mean, understandably so, like these guys have been together for like. I don't know how many years and doesn't seem like there's too many other people that Colin Farrell can be friends with on the Island. There's like this kid, um, who's kind of a, like, I don't know, like he's the town he, idiot. You know? Yeah. He's like the town idiot. And which is good for Colin Farrell because it seems like he's next in line for being the town idiot. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, um, 
so there's a lot of really good comedy uh, like throughout when uh, Colin Farrell just keeps trying to uh, reconnect with Brendan Gleeson um, and it just kind of escalates as Brendan Gleeson gets increasingly frantic to try to make sure that he never has to talk to Colin Farrell again. Um, and eventually it gets very sad. Like it, it gets, to, it goes to like somewhat extreme places um, in terms of like the destruction this does to uh, these two men as they try to, as one tries to reconcile and the other tries to, um, you know, not have anything to do with him. Um, and it's, it ends up being really sad and really poignant by the end. Um, and I thought it was really good um, as, um, as probably, I indicated before, like, I'm not like a huge Martin McDonough fan. Like, I think, I think, uh, this is definitely my favorite of his based on my memories of them. I haven't seen, I haven't rewatched any of them, but like, this is really good. Um, and I remember you liked it too, Zach, right? Yeah, no, I really liked it. Um, yeah, I'm kind of, oh, you saw it too, Grace? Just now. I feel like I just watched it. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd recommend actually going and seeing it too. You should go um, see it. Colin Farrell particularly gives like this really good performance that like mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm like a good performer, but like he's he's just like a hair above above me if you can believe it. Uh, also but, in the looks department for you, just, yeah, just a hair above you though. Just his hair. Just, just, just a that, but he's like actually like shockingly good. Like I like Colin Farrell. This is not like a dig mm-hmm. on him, but like this is I think my favorite performance by him as well. Like it is so funny, but it's also so very sad. Like it is like a just like as i mentioned just like a deeply melancholy role from him as he just tries to like by the end he's just a lonely guy like and he's not even that funny anymore but the whole time he's mostly been funny and the slide in the loneliness really snuck up on me you know until by the end i it, it kind of the movie kind of panned back figuratively and i realized like man this sucks for this dude mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned in your letterbox review, I also didn't really know what to, I don't know enough about like the Irish civil war to kind of understand how that plays. And if oh, it, yeah. it really, has I went on a Wikipedia dive after this movie because the movie keeps doing these things where it keeps referencing the Irish civil war, but it's never part of the plot. And so that's like, t- like dinging my like English teacher brain. I'm like, this is a metaphor. They keep referencing this thing that doesn't have anything to do with the plot. And it must be, and like, there's definitely something going on where like, there's something about like the falling out that happens between these two people that's meant to be a, a like analogy to the Irish Civil War, which is going on at the time. Which, like, I'm not like an Irish historian, um, of course, uh, and so what I say should be taken with a grain of salt. But like, my understanding of the Irish Civil War is that after Ireland, like, the Irish War for Independence ended there were competing factions within the nationalist uh, parties in Ireland about how their relationship with Great Britain should be. And that's how the, the civil war broke out. Um, And so like that kind of maps onto this idea of like these two men who were friends for a long time are now suddenly at odds um, in the same way that like these, you know, factions in Ireland who at all had a similar cause, AKA the liberation of Ireland are now at odds over uh, this next step. And if there were someone who were Irish here, I'm sure that they would have a take in the same way that like we all had takes about the racial politics of three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, that I think that maybe Martin McDonough didn't realize he had uh, stepped in. Maybe. 
Uh, and so I'm not, I, I, I am not confident at all in saying like what this movie's doing other than that very broad gloss. But I think it also just works as a character drama too. So if you're like me and I'm a dum dumb about Irish history, it still works. Yeah. I'm reading, I'm reading now. He, uh, somebody asked him in an interview if, if the ending where the two friends have a falling out that's so severe it like leads to bitterness, then violence, then irreparable harm is like a metaphor for the Irish Civil War. And he said, and Martin McDonough said no. So. Okay, he says no, but why Why did he say it when he did? Why are they constantly referencing the Civil War? Like, that seems, I don't know, man. There's a lot of creative choices in this movie that are weird if it's not a metaphor. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I would read this interview that another interview that mentioned it in the Atlantic, but um, I don't have an Atlantic uh, subscription because I don't live in Brooklyn. So. Oh, hey, fun fact though: if you use Firefox, uh, you know how there's like reader mode on Firefox that like eliminates all the pictures and stuff. Mm-hmm. That gets you around the uh, paywall on the Atlantic. You hit that reader mode and refresh, and then all the text. You <laughs> Maybe didn't next do this time. For me. <laughs> Breaking news coming from the Cinematary Podcast. Um, no, I I really liked it, and, and ever since I saw, I'm, I'm, I kind of want to see it again at some point soon. I do I, I do want to. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but I do want to revisit um, In Bruges, which I enjoy. I think this one's a little bit deeper. Um, that one's really fun though because it's just a lot of like swearing and violence um it's there's a lot also, of swearing in this one too it's, there's a lot of swearing, swearing in this one also but like it's just kind of like uh colin farrell is also kind of a lovable dullard in that as well um but uh, plus also that one has ray fines as a like also swearing a bunch and so that makes it like triple fun um but that's more of like a fun movie yeah i'm i'm I, i'll probably rewatch watch missouri even though i probably don't need to but that was also one that left me feeling very kind of just eh, inside um and but this one this one i do, i think is i think is great um I think the two the two lead performances are great, but I'm I mean, we mentioned you mentioned the boy, the kind of town idiot character, but Barry Keegan, who's the who's the actor, yeah. like steals every scene that he's in. He's he's, he's really good. He's doing he's a really, really good. He's doing kind of a Colin Farrell thing where he's like sneakily building this like character study that's devastating, but the whole time he's hilarious doing it. Yeah, and what a year for Colin Farrell because he like has this movie. Which is a relatively serious movie, even though it's funny at times. Um, and then he also was uh, the Penguin in the Batman movie, where he went. Oh my gosh! Come I on! totally forgot about that. <laughs> what are you doing here? He's also super fun in that. Also. Oh man, man! I'm glad you brought that up. I had totally blanked on that. Ah, what are you doing to me here? <laughs> <laughs> I do want to say, uh, so those those three performances, Gleason and um, the other two are really good. But also, um, the actress who plays the sister, um, who yeah. is, what's her name? Carrie Condon. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's really good, too. Like, she's also really good, yeah. She, she's kind of like this long-suffering sister, you can tell, is kind of like holding what remains of the family estate together. Because, like, um, Colin Farrell's character lives with his sister, and their parents are dead they don't seem to have any other living relatives and they just have this very small like uh 
a herd of, of cattle and some other livestock and that's all that they got. Um, and she seems to be the one who's like keeping it all together, but she also is uh, a big reader and she like, she definitely has like ambitions beyond her station. Um, and so there's this kind of sad, um, kind of undercurrent with her too, where she feels a responsibility toward her home, but is also perpetually frustrated at like just how small everything is. Um, and that, that develops in interesting ways too. And she's, she's really good. I like, I liked her too. She also like brings some levity to it because she just immediately is like, this is just a stupid fucking male pissing contest. <laughs> and it's constantly yeah. just going like, come on guys, are you that stupid? And Brandon Gleason just like, I have to throw my fingers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Um, yeah. But Banshee's of Inna Sharon, uh, it's in, it's in, it's in the old cinemas now. So uh, if you can go see it, Grace, go watch it. It's fun. It's good. It's good. Sure. We almost, my, my dad and I, we almost went to go see that. And instead we watched 2001. So. Do you want to transition? Is that, is that I'm transition not saying that, but with? I'm just letting you guys, here's a little bit of like, no, damn it. <laughs> Y'all aren't done. I'm sure you have so much more. Or are no, you that done? was it. That was so this it. is a good done, movie, but maybe not as good as 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah. <laughs> This is a this it was I apologize to the audio audio people. This was a really good visual of it gag, you know. <laughs> um, to them. <laughs> yeah. No, we we can come back to you. I thought that was a really nice transition though. Thank you. Oh, great. Yeah. Okay, well then yeah, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Take it away, Grace. <laughs> so Grace, you watched 2001 a Space. Tell tell us this was the first time you'd ever seen it and you and your dad just plopped down and were like we're going to take this journey together. Yes. Um so um I would like to really quick give a shout out to my dad cuz he's like one of he listens to the these episodes that I'm on with you guys, so I know he'll hear this. Um but he's the whole reason why I have any sort of interest whatsoever <laughs> in um in film um and uh he one night i think he ran the projector when they showed this at uva cinema club when he was uh in undergrad so i when's grace's dad gonna be on the podcast that's the i don't know he should be um but so i talked about like let's watch a movie together it's something that we love to do and it's always so hard to pick something between the two of us um, I had told him that I need to watch more sci-fi. What's more sci-fi than 2001? Yeah, that's true. So, um, <laughs> that's and a, this, lot of, a lot of science, a lot of fiction. A lot of science, a lot of fiction. Um, and that is just so not what I reach for when I go to pick a movie. Here come <laughs> They're making a brief cameo. This is actually, you know what? I shouldn't say that I don't like sci-fi because this is my cat, Barbarella um there you go so um that's not entirely true i like very specific sexy sci-fi i guess yeah, there's no jane yeah, fonda there, in this movie yeah there's no sexiness in 2001 yeah it could use some sexiness it could they they could stand to sex that up just a little bit um <laughs> first but, first real hot take coming out of you for 2001 yeah hot girl take the first real hot uh, girl take. Yeah, a lot of bone imagery wasted yeah <laughs> um so we watched this and um it was i i i think i enjoyed myself um when i was done um 
like hitting my inhaler, I just got like so out of breath, like trying to match breathing to all the various like, you know, uh, inside the suit, you can only hear him like the respirator, like I it stressed oh, were me you out trying to like you were trying to like breathe like when he was in the spacesuit? It just started like I was hearing it and then I started matching my breath to it. I don't know. <laughs> it's the movie magic. Like I got swept up in it all. Um it's that, it's that uh Kubrick touch, as they say. Yes, it was <laughs> that, that Kubrick touch. Um where did he touch me? I um <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Well, so you and your dad are watching 2001. So we're watching this together, and um, it was I have I had more fun listening to him tell me about the movie. He knew a lot about it. He explained a lot of the shots, and that was super enjoyable. Um, I it it also helped me because I I don't want to make myself sound dumb, but like I really don't know if I would have been able to like keep up. Like the chapters helped me like pace myself. Um, yeah. But which, one, I, there, which one was your favorite? The the space one, the uh, the middle one, the whole the, middle one, actually. When, he, when he's like the one with he, the computer. Yes. Yeah, with Hal. With Hal. With um, Hal. I really enjoyed that. Um, that uh, was thrilling. I was frightened. Um, good. It was it was very scary. Like for a for such a long epic you know it's very quiet you know no there's not a whole lot of dialogue it it's all action it's you know the pacing it's the sounds and it i was just very scared and i'm yelling at the screen i'm you know what's gonna happen like you know watch out for how like i'm i you know i just got really taken up but i think that was probably my favorite part um but to go all the way back to the beginning of time, to the beginning, yeah. Um, I don't know. I was just so confused. I'm like, what is this giant prism? I'm, <laughs> you know, like, that's oh, the thing. What is this? This is freaking me out. I fear what I don't understand, and this is. Did, did your dad have a theory on what the what the the prisms were? Oh yeah, he's like you notice how it shows up at um, every point of evolution um, when they make tools, when they reach the edge of time. They man is evolving, or or, or no, first it's so first it's tools, then it's uh-huh. space travel, then uh-huh. it's the edge of the universe, and then mm. it's babies. Babies, you know, <laughs> back to. You know, we are one with time. Time is us. You know, we are infinite. We are made of stardust. You know, whatever, you know, whatever that metaphor is. But yes, that was his theory. He's like, it appears at each point of, you know, when man is on the cusp of evolving, like it is there. Does it guide evolution? Does it help? Does it hinder it? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, I'm afraid of computers now. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, not him, but... (laughs) (laughs) My first laptop that I got, I named HAL 9000. Like, it was... You could still, like, name the CPU or something. Like, that was, like, a feature on it. And you were like, I'm going to test Destiny a little bit and name it HAL 9000. Yeah. It didn't do shit. I'm going to put a lot of faith. I showed that computer who was boss. (laughs) (laughs) I just... I'll just reaffirm for the podcast listeners that the first time I watched... Uh, 2001 Andrew got mad at me because I checked the World Series score in the middle of the um, 
it's it's a whatever the sequence the you know when he's going when he's traveling through time and space um i was like let's see how the giants game's going (laughs) i mean is that not like man's use of tools you know you were you were just following the the impulse of the film yeah i mean he was doing it he he was traveling for a minute you know i was like all right well i'll come back to this in a second i just needed to check real quickly you know other things are happening in the world it is the kind of movie where you can like i'm gonna do something and then come back and probably the same thing is happening yeah yeah that. yeah that traveling that kind of did go on for a while it was beautiful i was i was like gripping this it was like this is gorgeous like yeah it was stunning to look at i sort of felt myself like falling into visuals like, it was lovely listen to the blue danube and everything yeah. yeah also it was i laughed when um like the very opening sequence where it's like that because like to see it in its like original form like that sequence when you see it parodied and everything else was like honestly i was like oh i get it now that was also another big takeaway was like oh you caught all the references yeah i was like oh okay i get it now i get it now i get it now like that definitely helped um, so I do you like the match cut when he throws the bone up in the air and then it swirls and swirls and swirls yes. and it becomes the spaceship? Yes. Mm. Um, actually, when I first happened. watched, oh, go ahead. Well, after it happened, my dad was like, Did, did you see that? Rewind. I was like, Isn't it great that <laughs> see, I can you, do this? We got to get your dad on the podcast now. I know. Yeah. When I first watched the movie, I had a lot of trouble with because I had seen so many references to 2001. Like, including, like, there's a whole Simpsons episode that, like, references a bunch because Homer goes into space and stuff. Like, I had a hard time taking it seriously for a while because, like, it had been so thoroughly parodied that I had a hard time separating that in my head from the actual movie. Yeah, it is. It is one that's so, well, it has that going against it. And then it just has, like, the, you know, like, the the film film person, like, it's 2001. It's very important. You need to reckon yeah. with it. And you're kind of just, it's got a little bit of that going against it as well. I think people, it seems like grace, like you're kind of just like, it's a lot. And I don't know how do I feel about it. And it's supposed to, I'm supposed to like have a firm opinion. Yeah. And I, I just can't like sci-fi just so isn't me. I don't feel like I am anywhere near qualified to have any real sort of like opinion on it. Like I really did enjoy there were it was be- it was beautiful i really enjoyed the like pan am like parody with the like space am yeah. like the, the the space flight attendants i loved that i thought that was so cute i want to be a space flight attendant like that <laughs> yeah. i guess that's my it seems like a nice gig yeah that's what i aspire to to be a space flight attendant absolutely like you know send me up it's it's i i, I it's a little unbelievable now because there's so much room on the on like the the spaceship like that's that would be like delta space would not be that spacious let's just say spirit space oh my gosh spirit space spirit space is the cargo on delta space <laughs> Can you guys just imagine what uh, you know what might have happened had the airline industry not been crippled in our real 2001 Jesus. Oh my God. <laughs> well, you know what else was happening in 2001? 9 11 and the war on terror. 
And really, the 2001 A Space Odyssey of the War on Terror is Billy Lynn's long half. <laughs> a plus. Yeah. yeah. We're so good at We're so good at transitions. We're so good at transitions. Um, so this is one that's been kind of on my watch list uh, for a minute, just because I'm kind of, I've just been kind of curious about it. Uh, Nadine has talked about it. Uh, she's a big fan of this movie. Um but this was one, I think this was the movie Ang Lee made. Let me double check. It's the movie he made right after, yeah, right after Life of Pi. So, like, he makes, he makes, uh, what is it? He makes Life of Pi. He makes Brokeback Mountain. Uh, and it's like Ang Lee, top of the world type situation. And then he comes back and he makes Billy Lynn's long uh, halftime walk, which is adapted from a book of the same name. And um, uh, he's also utilizing the high frame rate, the 120 frames per second uh, technology similar to he used the he used it in Life of Pi, correct? I don't think he did. Well, maybe he did. I don't know. Well, anyway, I never went to a theater that had it. So no, I didn't either. It, and, but pretty much what it's supposed to do is it's, um, you know, we're used to seeing sixty frames per second. That's like what our kind of comfortable viewing um, experiences, or at least what we can kind of handle. And so, one hundred twenty frames per second is double that, and it's just, it's it kind of it's just supposed to not completely distort the images, but create this. And it does even in like a regular version, like I watched of the movie, it does create this, it almost feels, feels like a filter, like this kind of unnatural filter to it, which kind of works for what this movie is. So the movie is uh, Billy, uh, Billy Lynn is this 19 year old. He's gone off to Iraq. Um, it, this is happening in 2004. So this is three years into After the war on terror. Yeah. Um, and what has happened is he, the sergeant, uh, uh, one of the, their, their, what is it? Battalion, <laughs> their group, their posse, uh, their groups. Um, uh, sergeant played by Vin Diesel is, is shot um, in this firefight. And um, this camera catches Billy Lynn running over to, because these two, um, these two, I guess Al Qaeda members are like care or trying to take him away somewhere. And Billy Lynn like runs over, um, you know, kind of fights them off. And then like they, it's, they see him like shooting at other, other enemy members. Um, and it kind of captures like the whole American psyche. It's like, Oh, this is like the American hero. He's, you know, standing up for American ideals, et cetera, et cetera. And so he and the rest of his, of his, um, of his battalion are, are touring around America at this time, just kind of showing up being, you know, American patriots, um, and, and the, the, the finale of this is they're going to appear at the halftime show of the, uh, it's not the Dallas Cowboys, but it's the Dallas Cowboys, um, Thanksgiving day game. Um, <laughs> and they're going to be like, you know, incorporated into the halftime show that is a performance by destiny's child where you never see the faces of them because it's not destiny's child (laughs) (laughs) and and that's just the whole like entertaining uh, element of it um 
but it has like and so a lot of the, the pretty much the whole movie is him going through the motions of the day of you know going to this uh halftime thanksgiving day um football game and but also he's it's it's um he's flashing back to his time in Iraq, but also his time when he came up home immediately after the event to um, to see his family, who also lives in Texas. Um, and predominantly, those scenes are him and his sister, who's played by Kristen Stewart, who is kind of the catalyst for why he enlisted. Because um, there's a long story, but she kind of like she uh, she had to have like a lot of surgeries after this car accident and. Um, it led to Billy getting into a situation where he was either going to be arrested or had to enlist in the army. And so um, it's a lot of whenever he's back home, it's a lot of conversations between him and his sister played by Kristen Stewart, who is very like, you don't need to be like, you don't have to do this. Like this is, you're just going to get yourself killed type thing. Um, But then you have him kind of flashing back to when he's in Iraq and and kind of the camaraderie that he has with his fellow soldiers, um, predominantly this sergeant who's killed, played by Vin Diesel, um, as well as the other one of the other commanders, played by Garrett Hedlund. Um, And I don't like the movie's not it's not perfect by any stretch, but it is a really it's a fascinating movie in terms of like war on terror iraq afghanistan you know subject movies made in america um you know angley you have this technology and i think part of what turned people off from seeing it is it's a pretty it's a pretty anti-war movie (laughs) but also um you had like this technology that does make it look kind of noticeable noticeably different it does it looks very it's like you kind of have this a little bit of a loss of reality to it. Uh, but that works because you have a lot of these sequences where um, these soldiers are like having their PTSD triggered over, you know, fireworks displays at the football game or people just kind of crowding around them to, you know, get autographs or talk with them or, um, you know, the, the, the easily the best sequence of the entire thing is the actual halftime show where they're like doing this American Patriot celebration and they're literally just having to stand there while Destiny's Child is performing. And you have like all these pyrotechnics like shooting off and things like and you have um, one of the you know, you have multiple members of like the battalion kind of like starting to freak out because, um, you know, you have this incredible, like it's cutting between the performance and the firefight that they were in, in Iraq. And, um, it is this very kind of surreal moment because, um, for the most part, the Iraq sequences are shot pretty normally, but then when they're in like the football stadium, it's, it's, you have this 120 frame per second, um, technology going and it just, it, it doesn't feel like, you know, it feels like something's off with, with what's going on. You know, a lot of the movie is dealing with this kind of this, this dichotomy between, Oh, we greatly respect these American heroes. We love the troops, et cetera, et cetera. Um, because they did this thing, but there's only so much that we're going to offer to these, to these guys before we're just kind of like, all right, whatever, like we've, we've given you all the praise and all the stuff that we can kind of give you. So like, can you go off now? Like go away. Um, because a lot of the, a lot of the people, a lot of the characters that they're engaging with don't want to actually engage with 
like what's actually happening in Iraq. They're more, you know, they're very happy um, kind of dealing with it from the sidelines. And so that's what the big character in this is the Steve Martin character who is pretty much playing Jerry Jones, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys who becomes really interested in their story and is like thinking about making a movie and all this kinds of stuff. Um, and, you know, it leads to kind of this, just this blow up because Billy Lynn and his other soldiers are just kind of like, no, you're, you know, over the course of this whole, this whole day, like our story is just being exploited. Um, to to kind of make you all feel like you're doing you know you're a part of this fight you're like a part you know you're doing something for this country you know for the steve martin character it's like no you're just some rich asshole billionaire who said oh i would have loved to have you know been in vietnam but uh you know i was i wasn't able to go and so um you know this is how i like to give back um type situation and um I don't know it's it's i think it's more fascinating than it was like this is a good movie that i would like to watch over you know again or something um but as like this piece of of um of uh of american movie talking about iraq and the war on terror it's pretty fascinating it's it's just like this stark difference from not only just like the, the like super pro war Iraq movies, even stuff like kind of in the middle, like an American sniper, like this one is very much in its own category where it's, it's very anti-war happening at a time when the war is still going on. Cause this came out in 2016. So um, it's kind of a fascinating, sub, fascinating watch just in that regard um, as this anti Iraq war movie. We really haven't had a lot of those, at least in the in the mainstream, like at this level of release. Or at least I don't feel like we. No, I mean this one. This one bombed at the in the U.S. box office. It did pretty well. Globe. It, it made its money back globally, okay. but it bombed at the American box office. And it, it. I think it's you know, it's a movie that it's it's not American Sniper. They're not going to want to go see that. Um, right. And. Uh, it's 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 just kind of it, like I said, it's a strange movie a lot, and like I can see why people would get turned off by it. But I found it kind of fascinating because, um, it kind of it's very messy. A lot of the 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 dialogue sequences between characters feels unnatural. A lot of dialogue sequences between like the people they're interacting with back, you know, during this game and everything seems unnatural. Um, and so it kind of puts you in this headspace of like, I think, and I think that's what Ang Lee's doing is it's like, you, you're kind of like, well, this on like a, on like an analysis level, you're like, well, the script's not good. The acting's not good things like that. And you're like, no, like that's, it's supposed to be like this kind of visceral thing where you're also supposed to kind of be, um, put in the minds of these soldiers who are just kind of having these very shallow conversations uh, with other people. You know, this, the camera seems very off and kind of almost off putting and irregular. Um, it, it has like just kind of crazy sequences where at one point they're like at this Thanksgiving dinner and he's like staring at this like lavish extravagant, like, just overstocked food spread and he like flashes back to like being in this marketplace in Iraq and, and just like this kind of 
really surreal sequence um and so like on that level i really i like appreciated it like it's it's a fascinating movie for that subject um but it's it's one that's kind of tough to get a hold of i had to i had to go and pirate this to kind of watch it it's not streaming anywhere Um, but if you can watch it i like recommend it it's a it's kind of it's one you gotta kind of hang with but um it's worth it and there's so many random people in this movie i mentioned like steve martin and kristen stewart but chris tucker is in this movie um evan hansen himself is in this movie uh tim blake nelson shows up briefly like um it's got just like this wild cast um so it's a strange one but uh i recommend billy lynn's long halftime walk so um all right well we're going to take a quick break and then we are going to travel to Budapest in the late 1930s and uh, be pen pals with somebody and fall in love. So after, after a short break. Episode 431 of Cinematary. In this part, we're going to be continuing our Ernst Lubitsch series with 1940s The Shop Around the Corner. Directed by Ernst Lubitsch from a script by Samson Raphaelson. Uh, the film is also based on the 1937 play Parfu uh, Marie by Miklos Laszlo. Uh, the film stars James Stewart, Margaret Sullivan, Frank Morgan, and Felix Brassart, Alfred Kralik, and Clara Novak, which, mind you, Jimmy Stewart, Margaret Sullivan, two deeply Hungarian people, uh, are employees at Machitech and Company, a general store in Budapest. Clara and Alfred are constantly at odds with each other, butting heads and disagreeing on almost everything. Both are enamored of their respective pin pals uh, who serve as welcome distractions in their lives. Little do they know they are each other's pin pal and despite our differences have unwittingly fallen in love through their letters. Uh, All of the scenes for the film were reportedly shot in sequence. Uh, Lubitsch delayed the start of the movie though, until both uh, James Stewart and Margaret Sullivan were available. And so while he waited for that, uh, he filmed the, uh, his movie Nanachka uh, at the same time. By the time he made The Shop Around the Corner in 1940, Lubitsch's brand of expectation rug pulling had become ingrained at what was expected of a Hollywood movie. Indeed, it is often argued that it was Lubitsch, not D.W. Griffith, who was the true author of the dominant style rather than the dominant technological approach of Hollywood cinema in its golden years. Quote, he invented the modern Hollywood, John, uh, Jean Renoir once said. The man was so strong that when he was asked by Hollywood to work there, he not only uh, didn't lose his Berlin style, he converted the Hollywood industry to his own way of expression. 
The Hollywood Reporter in 1940 said the picture is a triumph for Ernst Lubitsch from beginning to end. We don't believe the industry can boast another director who could have handled the subject as he did. These Lubitsch touches that used to highlight news columns several years ago and which uh, made such good copy for those columns predominate in this subject as much as they did in the same director's Nanachka. But in this modern little story, Lubitsch seems to have reached his pinnacle of touches, which is the main reason for the success of the entertainment. In 1940, the New York Times said Lubitsch has employed the film to brighten the shelves where his tidy continental romance is stored. And among the uh, the bric-a-brac, uh, there are several fragile scenes which he is handling with his usual delicacy and charm. This is by a friendly staff of salespeople who are going under resoundingly Hungarian names, but remind us strangely of Margaret Sullivan, James Stewart, Frank Morgan, and Joseph Skilkrot. Uh, all told, they make the shop around the corner a pleasant pr- place to browse in. They scooped your jokes, Zach. I know. The New York Times getting, you know, getting my humor. Um, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the shop around the corner. Has Was this anybody's first time seeing this? Because I had seen this before. Yeah, Grace? It was my first time seeing it. I um, had definitely, like, scrolled past it before um, when you're just looking for something to watch. And it's like, oh, it's James Stewart. I love him. Let's put that away to watch later yeah and he told me to watch it and so i did so i did and uh i loved it like i love the quick like quick talking his girl friday banter i love like the sweet i love how romantic it is it's so funny i think that jimmy stewart is a heartthrob i would have fallen in love with him were he my pen pal um, it was very funny. It was also very sad. I was s- shocked um, to have if this whole movie felt so lighthearted to have something as um, heavy as uh, suicide as um, a major plot point. That that surprised me. I was yeah. I was shocked. Yeah. Shocked, I tell you. <laughs> uh, Michael, have you seen this before? Yeah, I had. It had been a long time, though. Um, and I watched it specifically because I know we'll talk about this later, but I watched it specifically because uh, I had watched and enjoyed You've Got Mail several times. Um, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to check out the movie this is based on. Um, and one of the things that struck me the first time seeing it, and I had kind of forgotten along the way, is that the You've Got Mail hook and and kind of like the, the plot thread that you mentioned with the two you know, lovers being pen pals, but they don't know their pen pals and they don't get along in real life. Like I'm, I was surprised both when I originally watched it and then now at how, how buried that is in the movie. Like there's a lot of stuff that goes on in this movie around that. And like, it's really more of an ensemble piece. And eventually this kind of plot between uh, the two love interests, like, kind of pulls away just a tad but like i i remember that being striking the first time and now and this time kind of remembering like oh yeah i was this is, yeah yeah well i was reading just kind of reading some people who had written about the film and they talked about how this was and that's it's very true of the two lubich films we've talked about so far um i don't want to be a man and um the smiling lieutenant but those a lot of his uh earlier films were very like male you know male lead female lead like you know maybe romance or whatever like it's a very two-person movie and this was his first really broad 
like you said, like it's it's very much a ensemble. You know, it's not just necessarily right. about James Stewart and Margaret Sullivan. It's also about the other characters at the uh, at the shop as well. Right. I mean, the first scene, in fact, you are sitting at watching char- the characters walk up to the shop before the the owner comes to unlock it because uh, they're all like employed um, or connected to the shop in some way. And so like just the very first scene, and this makes sense, like this is a very like theatrical like play kind of opening where, you know, we have a set which is like the street in front of the shop um, with the window. And we return to the set multiple times in the movie and we see one person walk up, we see another person walk up, they start having an interchange and then another person walks up and joins. And by this time, by this, in this way, like we're introduced to all the different characters, but no one character is really presented as the protagonist. Um, mm-hmm. And I would say like through the rest of the movie, uh, no one character is really presented as the protagonist, even though like uh, Jimmy Stewart becomes kind of like a focal point in the movie. Yeah. Um, and because it's Jimmy Stewart, you're like, oh, he's kind of the star. Right. But yeah, no, Although I agree. This is like, like an early Jimmy Stewart movie, right? Like yeah. 1940s. Yeah, he's not he's not like movies. a superstar, but like yeah. now kind of looking at it, you're like, oh, it's Jimmy Stewart. It was like this movie and, Sh- and uh, Philadelphia Story both came out in the same year, I think. And those were both pretty big, like uh, kind of, you know, Put him, put him on headlines, kind of roles, right? Yeah, he had, he hadn't done. Um, Philadelphia Story was definitely big. He hadn't done um, the movies with like Catherine Hepburn and Cary Grant that he does. Um, this was big, and he hadn't done like It's a Wonderful Life or any of the Anthony Mann westerns or the stuff that like was making him big. Right. This is right. very early on. He's good though. He's he's got that charm like right at the gate. Yeah, the thing I really like about this this film, and it's a, in terms of like the ensemble, it's a good um, it's a good kind of prototype lead into next week's film, To Be or Not to Be, which is also a big ensemble movie as well. Um, but this one, the thing I really like about it is is just kind of how like small and subtle it is. You know, it's never very, it's never super flashy. Um, even the romance itself um, is very. Not necessarily sub- subdued's not necessarily the right word, but it is very subtle. Like it's not. Um, we'll probably talk about it uh, kind of in the back half of this part. But um, you've got mail the the remake, um, more modern remake, which I think people are much more aware of. It very much like laces on um, the relationship, and it's kind of funny, you know, talking about how much of an ensemble piece this is. That one very much turns into a just a two-person Tom Hanks Meg Ryan vehicle. Um, but this one I just like because you know it's it's like what ninety, a hundred, or like a hundred minutes, and it just feels very much like you're centered in this in this store. You kind of like, you know, you kind of like being in that world, all the characters, like how they interact, things like that. You kind of, and it's just, it to me, it's a very, you know, even though, Grace, you mentioned it's it gets, goes into a very dark place by the end, it's a very comforting movie. It's a very just like, um, it's a it's a perfect holiday movie because it's just very comforting, very sweet, very delicate. Um, I kind of like that about it compared to um, compared to other kind of similar holiday romance movies. Kind of like this. You got like the oh, go ahead, Grace. Oh, just like relatable and normal. These people are your coworkers. This is the shop that you work at or your neighborhood shop. They're like the way that the two fall in love. Um, it through correspondence, but really they fall in love with each other, like at work. Like she mentions later on, she's like, I was starting to fall for you. Like 
because we were working together. I noticed you more. We spend our time together. Like that is so relatable. Like for a lot of people, they find their partner. We work together. And like that, that's very comforting. Like that's a very comforting and familiar storyline. Like the correspondence gives it this sort of like fantastic, like this uh, fantasy sort of touch, like, Mm. you know, like a romance novel, like through written correspondence, they pour their hearts out to each other in a way that they can't in the workplace or, or, you know, it gives them that freedom um, that they can't like really vocalize. Um, And, and that's what makes it like just a touch more romantic than just like your average everyday, like we met at work. Um, but I do love that she puts out an ad in the paper to get this correspondence started. I do love that ad. Like she's just like seeking uh, an anonymous man. Yeah, it's yeah. like a misconnection. But then she gives like a PO box that you can like send email or not emails. Gosh, uh, send letters to. Um, and I don't know. I just think that's so funny. Like what was the and, process? And so sweet. And what's and, the process of of filing the misconnection ad? No, no, I'm sorry. You keep going. I'm so sorry. Please. Oh no, 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 it's fine. It's just, it's just so funny and sweet. Like, I'm trying to imagine like what a modern analog to it is, and I can't imagine it. Like, she's just like box. putting out a PO box, and it's just like, hey, uh, I, I need someone funny and smart to to write me, so I can have an interesting conversation. Like, that's literally like what the ad says. And it, well, maybe not literally, but um, I don't know. I just, I just, there, it is kind of like a fa- fantastical. Thing, like because there's no way in, in life you'd actually get that you get some like weird creepy stuff like if you did that in real life right that's what i'm saying like yeah. i'm curious what the process was like i would have liked to have seen her like you know going through like certain correspondence and then like what was the letter or like our equivalent where it's like what's the message where you're like nope i'm not talking to this person anymore like what but, weird thing did her but that's, but that's what's kind of like nice about it, it. You know, like you mentioned, like there's this fantasy element. Yeah, it's like it's so uh, it's so delicate. Like she just finds Jimmy Stewart. They don't know each other. They're having like these these deep talks about uh, about you know literature and, and things like that. Um, like yeah, if this was real, if this was like a real situation, even like not even not even like you know you've got male situation, but just like a real situation. Yeah, you'd be like rifling through, you know. Guy, guys going hey do you want to see my dick and other things you know it's good yes yeah it'd be awful and so like to me it's like it's kind of nice to just be like yeah this is there a reality in this no we wish this was the reality that would be a nice reality it but it's just like it's very like it's just very innocent um even it's like a very the, cozy movie like yeah, even that, even the, even the, the romance itself it's very it's very uh it's very innocent it's very delicate you know like um I was thinking about uh, like Jimmy Stewart's performance. He, you know, I guess you can kind of get into the you've got mail like comparison discussion, but like I was thinking about why Jimmy Stewart's better in his movie than Tom Hanks is in his movie. And it's because Jimmy Stewart still has kind of an edge to him. Tom Hanks never has an edge. You know, like he never had, he's very just like, oh, I'm your, I'm your favorite dad, Tom Hanks. And like Jimmy Stewart, even though he's like the romantic lead in this movie, he's got a little bit of an edge to him. And they have scenes where they're like kind of going at it. And um, I think you can kind of see, you see that thing that like Hitchcock 
grabs on with like yeah. stuff like rope and vertigo where he, there's like something there's something off about him that you can kind of tap into and he doesn't necessarily tap into it here but it's like you can kind of just see that and that kind of creates a little bit of an edge to his character that tom hanks doesn't have and you've got mail he's got um a lot of jimmy stewart performances even like the really famously like cuddly ones there's kind of a latent dickishness to his personalities like in in um and it's a wonderful life. Like, you know, of course he's like the saintly character who's always like giving up of himself, but he can be really mean in that movie at times mm-hmm. too. And I think the same is true in this one. Like there's the scene where they're supposed to have met each other at the cafe, but they don't realize they're meeting each other at this cafe. And so he goes up and he's just been fired. And so he's in a really bad mood and he sees her in the cafe and just starts like kind of picking on her. And they get into this, like, discussion and i can't i can't remember like she says something about well i'm i have anna karenina and you wouldn't have read anna karenina he's like oh well have you read dostoevsky and she's like no and she's like well well you know wow uh, wow you haven't read dostoevsky i can't even say it right exactly and i think like i will say like tom hanks does not have this very much and you've got mail but tom hanks has that quality in some other performances where you have the like kind of like cuddly dad Tom Hanks like bristling like bristling with this like latent um, meanness like in like Catch Me If You Can or maybe The Post or like some of those movies. Well, in terms of like similar movies, he definitely has that in The League of Their Own where he's yeah. very bristly for most of the movie. Right, exactly, and I I really like that like when Jimmy Stewart has that energy to him, which he does, he definitely does here, and he's not like full on Vertigo like you said, but. It's it's there and well, it's yeah, enough to make just him see, interesting. You see it in, like you described in a couple of the interactions. Like the, like he is very mean at times. There were two times where I was just like on the edge of my seat, just like completely like focused in on what he was saying it's uh with the one scene where he's talking about have you ever gotten a bonus and you know you hold the check in your hand until you open it you're a millionaire like i'm just sitting there on there's you know no sound like there's no it's just him talking and in that like kind of hushed whisper like he's telling his friend a secret and i i was just so interested in everything he had to say and then again when he like gets up and close and personal with Clara like the way he holds her and like how like how he's you know quiets down he sort of whispers like I you definitely see that sharpness that that edge that you guys keep talking about like that we'll see later on he'll bring out in these later performances but he has it there and it's I, I want to. I almost want to see him like fly off the handle in that one. In this. And he cool. does when he pushes. What's his wow. name? Into yeah, the pile of music boxes. Like yeah. I think that's a that's great hysterical. <laughs> the music boxes. It's like the Chekhov's gun. Like Chekhov music box. Like you've seen that music <laughs> box the whole movie, and then the whole pile of them go off at the same well, time. I, I was almost gonna like write for a letterboxd review like that Russian folk song really takes like hits in that entire movie. Like it's just constantly No one wants to it. hear it. <laughs> no, nobody wants to hear it. Um No, it's uh I, I you know, the kind of Lubitsch Lubitsch touch, the the kind of rug pulling where uh, yeah, just kinda it, and that's what like the movies the movie's not super I mean it's linear but also just kind of weird because it's just like one second he's like yeah i'm cool with jimmy stewart and the next second second uh 
the Frank Morgan, the Matichek character is just like, fuck that guy. Um, he's cheating on yeah, he's he's just, my wife yeah, cheating and on me with him. And it's just it's very like out of left field, like and you kind of and like that's what makes but it works because uh it's so out of left field that um Jimmy Stewart's also just like, What's going on? Like what like what what happened? Um yeah, so, I was so confused. It's like, what do you mean he's not inviting like Mr. Magic isn't inviting um Jimmy to dinner. Like I was so confused. I thought it was that um that Clara like was the new like golden child with her sales ability there for like a split second. Um, yeah, the sequencing yeah. of that is a little bit weird. Maybe I missed a detail, but you don't actually find out why he's mad at Jimmy Stewart until the private no, investigator comes in, right? No. Yes. No, no, no. Yeah, you don't. You don't okay. learn, and that's why. And that's where you've got males a little bit better because it at least shows like a little bit of the progression into why they're angry at each other. This one does. It just jumps immediately from like they hire Margaret Sullivan, and then it like kind of time jumps to like six months or eight months mm-hmm. later or. Maybe not even that, like three months, because it was getting close to the holiday season anyway. And um, he's like mad at him. But it maybe is, this but... is a good part. Maybe this is a good like transition point into comparing the two movies, because like a big part of the plot of You've Got Mail, and it's been a few years since I saw it. So those of you who just saw it can maybe add in details. But he's basically like opening a Borders bookstore, yes. like next door to her like locally owned like independent bookstore and that's why they hate each other is Mm -hmm. is that like fundamental tension and in this movie um it's weird because like uh the tom hanks character who's like the the jerk like businessman is is jimmy stewart's boss um basically um Mm -hmm. right like that guy gets subsumed into tom hanks's character in the you've got mail and there, there's not a lot of actual reason for why these two people dislike each other and shop around the corner other than just they, they kind of don't get along. Yeah. Yeah. No, you've got mail is pretty more, it's much more explicit. It's also trying to like say a bunch because that's why I say like this movie, like shop around the corner is much more, it's much more cozy. It's, you know, it's just kind of, it's very like light. Um, and this one's kind of trying to say stuff about, the advent of the internet, you know, in the early in the early part of the uh, uh, the twenty first century. Doesn't isn't am I remembering? That, isn't the title sequence like some really heavily aged CGI like zoom it's the in of, of the computer and like yeah. you die? Oh yeah, pile up. You know, the spy games. And you're yeah, just like what the fuck is going on right yeah. now? I um, love that trend in the nineties of just like throwing like wildly inappropriate CGI into an otherwise like uh, otherwise a movie that wouldn't need it yeah it's 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 strange and so but one it's trying to say something about like the advent of the internet and then two it's trying to um it's also like kind of doing this you know big box store versus small store like um gentrification is yeah very early what very like early gentrification look without kind of defining it in the gentrification terms that we would much we would be doing now um which is a little bit more explicit but also it's also a weird parallel because they spend the entire fucking movie going to starbucks to get coffee so yeah. it's like so it's like save your local bookstore but your local coffee shop can go fuck itself you know they meet up in the local coffee shop they have their That's like true. 
they have their meeting um, where she's reading Pride and Prejudice with a red rose instead of Anna Karenina and uh, which that I was while watching that that uh, you got mail today. I didn't realize how much they lift from the meeting scene in oh, yeah. the shop around the corner. Like they literally lift lines. Yeah, my wife was watching uh, Shop Around the Corner with me, and she's a big You've Got Mail fan, and she was <laughs> she was like. Uh, like the the scene where in that scene where his friend is kind of looking in the window and like mm-hmm. describing her to him, uh, like apparently like uh, I don't remember this, but yeah. Dave Chappelle says the exact same stuff. Yeah, and he and he says that and he does the whole same sequence of like, well, you know, do you like her? And he's like, I mean, yeah, she's fine. He's he, but he's like, well, if you don't like her, then you're not gonna like this girl because uh, it's her. Because it's her. <laughs> <laughs> like it's which the is same. a great line. <laughs> Yeah, it's a great, but no, it's really funny. The they like the whole sequence in like even when Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan are interacting, it's very much like Jimmy Stewart and Margaret Sullivan. It's it was just very funny after watching it the day before. I'm like, oh damn, they actually like lifted a lot of this from for this sequence. There are so though, good. there are the like lines in You've Got Mail. One of the things that You've Got Mail does that this movie really doesn't do is you see a lot of their correspondence with one, like you hear a lot of their correspondence with one another which you don't really hear a lot of the letters in Shop Around the Corner, but like there's all these sorts of turns of phrases and stuff from the movie uh, You've Got Mail that are kind of lodged in my brain. Like, um, like for instance, after uh, after they have that scene where Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks like, you know, meet at the cafe and they have a real falling out and she says, they both say nasty things to one another. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's her. She has this thing where she says like, I'm never able to say exactly what I think when I'm mad, but I did it that time and now it feels terrible or something like that. And that's like a, I remember that, like that sticks in my head as like a good line from the movie. And um, I think that's original, right? That's not in Shop Around the Corner. Mm-hmm. No. Well, because You've Got Mail spends a lot more time in like the, again, like Shop Around the Corner is much more subtle. It's uh, It kind of wraps itself up pretty quickly. Uh, you've Got Mail hits the point when like i mean it hits the point where her shop closes and his shop's still open and his store's still open and then it like goes on for a while because then they're like briefly friends and then they're like oh let's meet the pen pals and now we're in love um which is nice because it's like the end of the movie and it's like oh you know we're in love now you still put me out of a job but you know love yeah she's got her new career path she's a writer now yeah well that's good for whatever that. reason i i thought i thought i remembered because i hadn't seen you've got mail in, in years and years i thought i remembered it where he like bought the shop and like was operating it which i was like oh that'd been a nice gesture but no mm-hmm. there is like a really interesting <laughs> there's like a really interesting parallel or not parallel but like the times have changed or something, right? So you have like the movie that comes out in the forties is much more focused on like labor than mm-hmm. the movie that comes out in the nineties. The movie that comes out in the nineties is all about like big business and the cost of big business and that, that sort of like kind of neoliberal thing going on. Whereas like the 1940s one is very concerned with like wages and who gets fired and who doesn't and that sort of thing. I, I don't know. Like, they're, they're two movies that are both very much products of their time in that regard, I feel like. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, was, yeah. I liked, uh, you know, you have to have a termination letter. That was interesting to hear. Like, you yeah. know, management changing hands and, you know, prove it. And you just see it in black and white. 
bonuses and everything. Yeah, definitely pro labor. That was, and then and, you know them talking about like job shortages too. Like that was also very, like that stuck out in my mind. Yeah, there. She's. I like. Uh, I like the scene where she's complaining that she would have to find another part time job because she wouldn't be able to, because by losing the part-time job that she has she would be able to afford her apartment and i'm like so you're affording your apartment on a part-time job right now oh yeah and you've got mail and she's like i don't have to move to brooklyn like oh yeah and you're like well you won't do that but also you're gonna need to get like three part-time jobs then there is a there's a scene or a line in um the in shop around the corner where um jimmy stewart's pay and you, you hear this because it's his termination, like his pay in a month is like 250, whatever the currency is. I don't remember what it is. And there's another line in the movie where um, he, he uh, the boss keeps having to wire his wife more money because she keeps running out of money. Uh, and he wires her like a thousand of the things, whatever mm-hmm. the monies are, like do- we'll say dollars. Like he wires her a thousand dollars. And I was, I remember hearing like Jimmy Stewart's salary is like 250 a month. I was like, that guy just gave his wife uh, four times the amount that Jimmy Stewart makes in a month. Like, there's like a few like throwaways like that where it really reinforces like the uh, just the grotesque wealth that uh, someone who owns like a successful business has. And I don't think, maybe I'm wrong. I don't remember you've got mail hitting the wealth aspect at all. But you've got to know that Tom Hanks's character is loaded, like completely. Yeah, loaded. they did. They did you know. because they do. Okay. Has- he has a boat. Number one, like oh, wow. he does. He is on a boat for a he's lot. He's on of a boat. So, he's, so he has. So he has a boat, and it's Fox Three. And then, oh my gosh, dad and um, like when his dad and his dad's new wife. Well, they're not married. Partner, his dad's girlfriend. Up, he's like, okay, I'm gonna live with you, son. And they go on dad's boat, which is the Fox Two, and it's bigger than the Fox Three. So, like. Yeah. They literally, when you meet the dad and like, is it the grandfather? Yeah. Um, they're like having like, they might as well just have like cigars and are like, yeah, yeah. Like it's just like a, a it's just a big old fat cat scene where they're just all like sitting in this office. You see like all of New York behind them. And it's a really funny scene though, like in 2022, because they're just bragging about how they're killing all these independent bookstores and they're like drowning in money as booksellers. (laughs) And you're like, yeah, it's not going to last guys. Enjoy this. Yeah. Enjoy this while you have it. Cause uh, (laughs) it's not like, it's not like Barnes and Noble is just like drowning in money right now. Like you are. So. borders you said borders earlier and i was like damn R. i R. did P. say borders <laughs> yeah r.i.p borders it is funny like there's a kind of funny circularity to it in which there's probably more independent bookstores than there are big box like bookstores now uh at least like in knoxville there certainly are there's like yeah. three or four independent bookstores and there's a books a million and a barnes and noble i think are our chains here yeah no it's it's that's just that just kind of was making me laugh because they were just over there like like they were like oil titans and you're like no you (laughs) you own bookstores that those are going to go down in like six uh, like five six years when amazon starts kicking off well it's Uh, funny too because the movie's so focused on the internet and the internet is kind of the undoing of that and i don't think that there would have been any way to know that at the time of this movie no but but it is funny that like because the great kinnear character um 
is is he's like a columnist right he's, he's some like a other extinct machine job. but he's all yeah but he's also yeah exactly right yeah. and also an extinct job but he's always oh, uh man. he's always complained about like you know he's literally his first line is about the internet being the end of western civilization as we know it that thing is not your friend yeah unless it's how also they really did parker posey wrong because honestly if i had to pick between being with parker posey and make Ryan, I would rather be with Parker Posey. She seems way more fun. Parker Posey's always done wrong. Like we need a Parker Posey Renaissance. Like I know, I know. Like people have really been bought into all these other Renaissances of you know nineties yeah. actors. We need, Parker Posey needs to come back. She didn't. She didn't work at the Dairy Queen to deal with this. You know. Yeah, she didn't work at the Dairy Queen. I know they always have a job for her, but they didn't. She didn't work at the Dairy Queen to deal with this. Um, this is like so nitpicky but this is just like such like a girl thing that i noticed like when watching a rom-com all you do is like pick apart the actors and actresses but like okay somebody overplucked meg ryan's eyebrows they started like too far over and i could not stop looking at it that is my one critique parker posey's eyebrows though how are they they were beautiful she was fine yet yet again between listen between the blonde and the brunette yeah, she got done dirty in that movie. I was yeah. I was kind of just like like if I had to pick between the two of them, I would much rather be with Parker Posey. She's I also thought that she was going to end up with um oh, the Greg Kinnear character. Yeah. She doesn't des- like no one deserves yeah. to end up with that Greg Kinnear character. <laughs> like can you imagine the Greg Kinnear character though is pretty funny though because like whenever he's on like the TV show and he's like flirting with Jane Adams, it's, it's Yeah. <laughs> it's such a st- he's just like to, he's like, "Oh, it's just it's TV. That's what they do. They just, you know, sweat and flirt with you." And you're like and she's just like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> um, but uh, any any final thoughts on on the shop around the corner? I mean, it's the perfect time of year to watch it. Um, it's I think yeah. super super nice, super like I like I said, super nice cozy movie. Um, it's like a hundred minutes. It's on HBO Max right now. Yeah. Um, and there's uh, a scene. There's a scene that is like close to the like like the apex of happiness in the movie and the snow starts falling. It's just like, it's got all the beats that you want to have in a holiday movie. Yeah. I, and I, I think of it after reading Scott Iman's book, Hank and Jim about Jimmy Stewart and uh, Henry Fonda, that Margaret Sullivan was the woman that like Jimmy Stewart desperately loved, but she was always like married or with somebody else went. So they never were lining up on both being single at the same time. So they did this movie in the mortal storm. And so I just like watched, I watched the movie this time going, he desperately wants to fuck her because That's he loves this. Too. He but... loves this woman. So much. like, like, like this was the one that he just like the one who got away. It was, so, there was so much chemistry. Like, yeah. I don't know. I feel I miss that. Do you guys feel the same way? Like, sometimes do you see like a romantic lead, like a romantic like pairing, and you feel like there is just like no chemistry between the two. So the directors just have to like make them have sex for us to know that like they are interested in each other. There yeah. was just, it was, I mean, it, just that raw attraction between the two of them. Like, they played each other so well like beautiful yeah i don't know no they were they were no they were great because you know you think about um i mean jimmy stewart he's you know grace kelly in rear window um 
not really have much chemistry with Kim Novak and Fritikovakis. <laughs> um, but even like Catherine Hepburn in in those movies, I, Margaret Sullivan is definitely the one that he has like the deepest chemistry with, and that's because he was in love with her. So, yeah. sorry, Puppy Jimmy. Dog. Puppy dog, Jimmy. He was just like, she's like, I want you to be at my shop around the corner. <laughs> Never happened. Little shop of cars around the corner. <laughs> that's the that's the uh, mashup we're looking for. Um, Check all right. Well, that will wrap up this episode of Cinematary. You can find us at Facebook at facebook.com slash cinematary at Twitter as long as it is lasting and uh, Instagram at handle at cinematary and on letterbox at letterbox.com slash cinematary where we list all the movies that we talked about in this episode. Um, head over to patreon.com slash cinematary. If you would like to support the show, um, all that money goes toward um, upkeep of the site and things like that. Um, thank you so much to our patrons, Cam, Chad Newsom, Corey Willingham, Candace Sisson, Ron Hayes, Teresa Arsathi, Titus Arthur and Tyler Chandler. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Uh, next week we're going to be uh we're going to be diving in um to probably one of i'll be honest probably one of my favorite comedies ever and that's to be or not to be from 1942 um i just sit there the entire time and laugh at jack benny so not going to be a hard hard sell to make me watch to be or not to be so i'm excited sell it to me right now go just kidding you already did i'll watch it (laughs) you twisted my arm i'll do it Ow, ow, my arm. It's Cause easy. You twisted you know. it. Cause you twisted it. <laughs> I got, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna end it, it you know, we've had too many like uh too many too many video video references for the audio crowd. We gotta we gotta put it to bed. All right. Until next week. Thank you all for listening.